When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. We've got Andre Simone here. We've got Jake Schwanitz here. We're going to talk about some takeaways from the Avs, some parallels to the NFL team building, what we can just learn from it, how we can compare it, all that fun stuff. Later on, we're going to talk about the Broncos being sold to Rob Walton, Russell Wilson contract, you know, how it's going to impact what Denver can do from a team building perspective. And uh, in between there, we are going to do just a little kind of like a fantasy draft. We can kind of snake draft it however we want to do. Just the the next teams to potentially leave their conference. By the way, there is some news. The, the ACC and the three teams that are, or the AACs, the AAC, and the three teams that are leaving the American will uh, officially be leaving in the summer of 2023. So that's Cincinnati, uh, Houston, and UCF. Summer of 2023 will be going to the Big 12. I think that's potentially when you kind of keep an eye on, you know, the next movement to happen. So. We'll get into all of that, but Dre, first, this is kind of your segment. You're going to lead the way. Let's talk about the Avs in this playoff run and, and what we can kind of take away from it, the parallels we can pull away, and, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, obviously the Avs are the big story as they wait for this Eastern Conference Finals to close out and um, have just been a dominant team. Um, minus 220 to win the chip right now, which is just unheard of, like before even entering a championship series. Um, and yeah, I mean, on this very same feed back in 2017, I was doing the draft pod with AJ and we were breaking down the Garrett Bulls draft class, but we were also breaking down with the abs coming off the worst season in their history. We're looking at after having quote unquote lost the lottery um, ending up with the fourth pick in what was supposed to be a super weak draft. Um, and in the, it was kind of a four-player draft at the top, two forwards, two defensemen. Nico Heischer um, was one of those guys. Nolan Patrick, those were the two forwards. And Miro Heiskanen and Kale McCarr were the two defensemen. The Avs kind of luck out that Kale McCarr of those four is the guy that drafts that drops in their lap and in a really weak draft, supposedly, which actually looks kind of strong when you look at it now, they get a true transcendent talent. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this, like with the, with the NFL, we are quick to give that transcendent talent label, but not all transcendent talents are created the same. You know, Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett both transcendent towns coming out of college. 
there's a difference. There's a difference there. Um, and why are we not giving that label to an Aiden Hutchinson, but we're happy to give it to Nick and Joey Bosa, you know? What are the differences there? Um, so that there's one. You can get into transcendent towns. The other way is the Avs really were built as a modern hockey team. They kind of said screw size, screw being goons. Um, there were teams in the Pacific, like the Kings and Anaheim Ducks, by the time the Avs were building this, that were just huge physical teams. And the Avs went the other way. Speedy defensemen, so just speed all around skill all around they said we're going to lean into this modern hockey and we're going to do that and that's really something we've talked about with the afc west man it's just a complete arms race to go all in on defense and offense on the passing game um and this division's really starting that like league-wide i think well and they stayed they stayed true to it i think was the the big thing because there was a couple yes. of years during that yes. where that when they were transitioning and they got beat up a little bit. You would especially see it, you know, I think back to that uh, that San Jose series, which obviously there was some controversy in it, but they kind of roughed the abs up, you know, like three, four years ago. And, and they did have to get tougher a little bit, but they stayed true to that principle because they could see that this is the direction that it's going. And I think NFL teams are going to have to do the same. When you completely shift your ideology, like there's going to be some ups and downs through it. Like there are going to be times where you completely just get your ass kicked and you're going to be like, are we sure this is the right direction? You don't just go from nailing one, you know, ideology to nailing the other right away, but mm -hmm. they stay true to it. And now they're really set up to have long-term success. And it's exciting. It's also interesting just because we're seeing NFL teams now kind of going the complete opposite where they're just like, let's throw all our resources, all our money into right now you know, maybe a two, three year window. I, I wonder if we'll see some of that in hockey or if we see more teams kind of try and do it the way the abs did it. The the tough part is you need you need an owner that'll trust leadership. And obviously Joe Sackick has that advantage, kind of similarly to John Elway did, where it was just like people just put faith in him. They're like, you know, we trust Joe to take us where we need to go. Obviously he's a phenomenal GM. He has the track record. It's not just the fact that he's beloved in the city, but having that leadership you can trust and, and just staying true to the identity that you're trying to build. I think that's so big. And I think we see teams stray from it too frequently. Like they get a good idea. They try and go, they don't get immediate success. Then they just abandon it. And from a team building perspective, Jake, I think what we're really talking about in a lot of ways is what we talk about on this podcast year round. It's really valuing the premier traits, analyzing your window and then adding those more low-cost traits that are still necessary later in your window at a cheaper price when it's time to make that final push so you can have that right balance between that modern team that's really at its core and brings those, those skills that you can't find anywhere, and then you have those kind of grinders that you add in. You need Manson just like you need McCarr. Mm-hmm. Right. And just looking at how the Broncos have been constructed over the last few years, um, I think it's there's some lessons to be learned there, more specifically to what Justin said in terms of sticking to your philosophy and patience, uh, especially towards the end of the John Elway era, because it was so the Broncos were really kind of in flux around that time. Um, John Elway was still obviously a god in Denver because he was able to win the Super Bowl as a player and a GM, and you were just hoping he could come back and bring the team back to that height. Um, of course, the quarterback situation never got figured out, um, but I think there's just so many lessons in that 
I guess the regime change between Elway and Peyton. Uh, you saw Peyton go back to more of a traditional scouting uh, type of development and right. just how he picked players. Um, whereas John Elway, I, I don't want to say he wasn't scouting, but you know, he just kind of seemed thought he was the guy. I mean, he had Matt Russell next to him. That seemed to be his like right-hand man throughout the process. Um, but it just seems like now the Broncos have a more inclusive GM in terms of getting everyone's opinion um, in scouting and everything. And you can see the last two drafts, uh, the difference in the quality of players that are coming in uh, all throughout the draft class, late to top. Uh, so it's interesting to see just how the Broncos, I mean, as Justin said, these rebuilds don't happen uh, quickly over a year, uh, but just how quickly the philosophy and the paradigm shift for this team has been since Peyton's come in compared to Elway. Yeah. And I mean, one of the most dangerous things in sports is when the decision maker for your team is maybe for their own work window, not thinking of the ultimate long-term success and is hoping to get one last playoff run in. And I think that's maybe what was happening a little bit. Um, you know, something we were talking about also, though, when we were kind of brainstorming uh, this segment off air was how the abs. Now, for one, this hockey rebuilds, you are talking about like 4x longer than the NFL. This the NFL is so crazy, man. It's such a like, especially on this pod, we can get caught up in the long term. But you got to turn that stuff around in like two, three years or you got to move on to like. Okay, it's time to like re-rebuild. That rebuild didn't work. It's time to redo it. And the apps have well, that's had the to tough do part that. is people don't ha- you don't you need patience, but you don't really have the time frame that you would want, you know, for mm-hmm. so it's like call it, I mean, mm-hmm. we see it in college football, you know what I mean? If if you're not winning and you're in a major conference by year two, you're out of there. Yep. Yeah, can I mean, you actually turn a program around that fast? You can if you do it right with enough money. I mean, you gotta hit everything, but I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's just warped because I, I generally and I, I genuinely see both sides here. Like, I, I understand needing patience, and I think that's really important. And we get caught up in in wanting the immediate success, but also then you look at teams like the Rams, who just are like, "Fuck it, let's win now," and they do it. And then you're like, "Oh, that looks kind of fun too. Maybe we should just try and do it that way." So I, I don't know. I guess it's easy for me to sit here on the side and like nitpick every decision for you know with the guys that are shifting their ideologies back and forth because I'm doing the same thing on this podcast right now. But I don't I, I don't know. It's just weird. I, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do as an NFL GM generally. I would probably just go more aggressive because at least you went down swinging like at this point. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. The NFL is just weird in that regard because I think that's – do you guys remember when John Lynch was hired mm-hmm. as GM of the, of the Niners? Mm-hmm. And they gave him like a six-year contract. Yeah. And everyone was all up in arms. Oh, they just gave a, a, a former player TV analyst six years, first time a GM. Like, what are they doing? But it's that type of patience that has really kind of paid dividends for the 49ers. Uh, they got a GM that was in lockstep with the coach. Um a GM that was for the first time in the job, but of course a former player who was in those locker rooms had a different perspective. Um, and Denver knows all too well that a former player can work as GM. Mm-hmm. So when you see these and, and, you know, when these guys come in and they're, you know, they'll give the four year, five year contract or whatever, but uh, it's really come down to that kind of teamwork. Can you work with the head coach GM and the yeah. owner too? 
um, is that all in lockstep? Because in the NFL, you'll see, and I'm sure it happens hockey too. I, I'm just not as versed in hockey, but in the NFL, you'll see it where like the coach hangs on and they hire a new GM the next year. And so you're kind of just in these like off situations. Yeah. And for the Broncos sake, it's interesting because now you bring in the new guy way up top. The owner's brand new. Yep. Uh, yep. You already have a GM in place. You already have a head coach in place, new head coach this year, of course. Um, but, you know, it's got to be a little unsettling knowing that there's a new boss in town and that uh, I guess no one is potentially safe, no matter how good this team is, really. It's a great point. That's a great point. That's the thing that translates the most. That cohesion, top to bottom, everyone being on the same page, everyone rowing in the same direction. And like what Justin said, the Rams can't do what they're doing if there's not like complete buy-in from the top down. Um, and like, ultimately you can't build a championship contender without really drafting some blue chippers. And that's where hockey is different. I think the NFL, you have a gajillion more routes. Um, like just like hockey, just like any sport, you have to find a franchise player in the NFL more so than hockey. That franchise player needs to very specifically be a quarterback. Um, you do need to add other core pieces around that franchise player right all of these teams have to be built around franchise cores um the nhl is much more like you kind of need to be lucky and have a first overall pick or a top five pick and you kind of got to be lucky that that top five pick falls on a great year um and that's what happens with nathan mckinnon first overall they kind of get lucky like landy's second overall mccarr's fourth overall like uh you know, Mac was drafted in 2013. We're talking about a nine-year rebuild. And they'd already drafted Landy and Duchene, second, third overall. Like, this is way more long-term. And, I mean, the end of the LA era, you're messing up a ton of first-rounders. It's not working out. And they haven't all, like, this, the, the entire LA run was built on him nailing the second overall pick in Von Miller, in what is a transcendent draft, one of the greatest drafts you'll ever look back on. I mean, top to bottom, that that top 12 is legendary. Mm-hmm. It's got like three shitty quarterbacks and just the, the dopest <laughs> defensive front yeah. seven guys of a whole generation, <laughs> um, plus the, the best wide receivers. Like, um, so, you know, I, I got sidetracked. But And then what happens, though, is you stop nailing first-rounders which then results in you're not just drafting in the first, you're drafting in the top 15. And you haven't really nailed those, those top 15 picks. We were on, you know, I was on this podcast talking about the importance of nailing that fifth pick in the Chubb draft. Hasn't really happened after Bradley had a, a near record-breaking rookie season. You have the 10th pick overall right after that. You trade down and you end up with Noah Fant and Drew Locke. I mean, now... That has resulted in the piece, part of the pieces that led to you getting your franchise player. So you can't say, oh, that was a complete waste of time. Um, and then, you know, what, what drafting Patrick Sertan has done, ninth overall to kind of revitalizing this team and starting to feel like, okay, you can turn the corner. Um, and, you know, I mean, the importance of Jerry Judy, 15th overall. Like, you, you got to hit on these. You can't be batting... 33% on these. You just can't. Is there a GM in the NFL that has even remotely the cachet that Joe Sackick does at this point? I mean, when you look at his between the trades, the draft, 
Like, he almost does not miss. I mean, you, you nail Miko Rantanen with the 10th overall pick. Tyson Jost didn't really work out, though he had some moments. That was a number 10 pick, but then he flipped him for Nico Stern, who's still been, like, a productive defenseman. So even, like, when he hasn't worked out, he's been able to recover and, and you know, get an asset out of his, you know, fumbles or whatever you will. I just... I think that's the thing with Elway, especially at the end, that when you had a GM in town and Sackick and, I mean, you could look at Tim Connolly that were just, like, nailing it. It, like, made look Elway look that much worse. But I'm not sure there's a GM, like, in the NFL period that has, like, as much respect and just nails it as consistently as Sackick does. He might, he generally just might be, like, one in a million. Which is insane to say because... Like, is he, he has, a better GM than a player? Like, I, is, I'm not even trying to say like, he's one of the best hockey players of all time. He has yet and to he's win that a cup, good as a GM. <laughs> so we gotta like what's uh, crazy yeah. is what all Justin's right. saying Fair. is right. Joe Sackick in his business, you unanimously thought of as like higher than Bill Belichick, who were like, Man, Belichick's such an idiot. Like, he's totally lost it. <laughs> it's like Dude, he he's won a gajillion championships. He was the DC of one of the greatest defenses ever. Um, you know, turns turns the, what the greatest dynasty of all time off a, set, a second a sixth round quarterback. Now might have you know like be part of yet another turnaround. And we're like, man, Belichick's so washed. Um, he really is in that like Bill Bella, I know minus the championships, but I just mean in terms of like. If Sakic makes makes a move, you just assume it's gonna bank out. Like I, if if I was an NFL or NFL, if I was an NHL GM and Joe Sakic, I see that he's calling me. Just ignore the phone call because he's about to fleece you. And I mean, it's tough to live up to that resume in any regard. But uh, I mean, I think of someone like Les Snead on the Rams as a guy who, I mean, any move the Rams make nowadays, it's kind of like one how. And then two, like this shouldn't be allowed because one, it seems like they have infinite money. And I mean, they've just signed Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup to like crazy extensions. But uh, Les Snead was a guy that was, I mean, he was on his way out, man, until he kind of saved his ass by hiring Sean McVay. And that really like that. changed the trajectory of his career. Sean McVay is the the coaching hire equivalent of Kale McCarr being drafted. Like, all their options have dried up. It's a new owner, new franchise. They really drag that process out. McVeigh's kind of a long shot, but in dragging that process out, Kronke and Sneed get comfortable with him. Um, and while, like, that's not that's not an aligned front office, right? That's kind of mm -hmm. like uh, a forced marriage in some ways, as far as what you were talking about earlier and the synergy of a front office and everything, Jake. But they've made it work. They've made it work great. You know who should have the reputation Joe Sackick has in the NHL, though, since you bring up Les Snead, is the Rams capologist, who I saw was getting <laughs> some love in uh, on Twitter yesterday. The Rams capologist is making miracles happen. They should definitely have the reputation that Joe Sackick has. Yeah, they're well, uh, bending numbers in space and time to make their roster moves fit. It's... I don't know. It's crazy to me. I'm glad that you brought that up, though, just because, you know, obviously the and we're going to get into this. I don't know if we're going to do it right now or later, but with the Broncos having a new owner, obviously there's the salary cap. So to an extent, you know, 
teams can spend the same amount of money, but we all know it's you can manipulate it. It's not exactly real. Given that the Broncos are going to have to re-sign Russell Wilson down the line, you would have to think that if if Walton wanted to, couldn't they just like really, really front load it with bonuses and just give him an absurd amount of money and really reduce that cap hit and then potentially like, you know, have more money to build around him? I mean, theoretically, I guess you can do that. So from what I understand, bonuses and uh, just any type of bonus is kind of given out um, basically straight out of the owner's pocket. Yeah, it's in like the cap space and everything, but the owner has to front the money first. And then, you know, you kind of make it back in revenue and all that. So, I mean, while the NFL does have a hard cap and you can't really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fix it into your uh, um, advantage. I mean, you can do these type of things, whether, I don't know. I mean, you kind of open Pandora's box a little bit there. I think though, if you just give Russ, I don't know, a five-year, 220-some dollar uh, contract and you front load the hell out of it, I mean, are you kind of opening you know, this opportunity for, you know, a supposed maybe luxury tax entering the NFL or something. Um, I mean, I know there are rich guys at other teams and stuff, but uh, who's to say that the Broncos just don't like kick that door open and start, you know, chaos really with this. Be really interesting. I mean, on top of all that could be coming with the rookie scale and all that and how the NILs might be kind of revolutionizing that, which we got into in the last episode. Um, but certainly them not being super liquid and a smidge cash poor was something that I was hearing a bit behind the scenes in like impacting their ability to make some moves. So I think, I think it just opens there. You, you know, it's, it's really, we're talking about maneuverability. And so you just, yeah, you have more freedom at this point. Like there, there's, <laughs> you should never, at least for financial reasons, not be able to do something. And I know they make this, they've already made this point a million times on the Broncos pod, RK and and Zach, they've driven this home, but you have all the resources now. And I'm not sure like how exactly it's going to come into play. Like, I I think it's going to be a couple year window where we see it, but I mean, you should be able to send scouts wherever you want to go. They should have all the best, you know, equipment, technology, whatever it is. Like they, they should just money is no obstacle for the Denver Broncos anymore. If Walton wants it to be that way. Now, he could choose to operate like Kroenke does and kind of just, you know, periodically spend a bunch of money on, on certain teams. I don't So it's a weird time, but a very intriguing time just in terms of like what this is going to mean for what the Broncos can be in the NFL. Like, I mean, at some point in the next couple of years, if he really wanted to, they could just, we could have everything, all the resources, new facilities, but probably just getting carried away here. I will say this though. I mean, now that you have all this money and yeah, you're kind of restricted in terms of salary cap and stuff because it's the NFL, but now that the Broncos have all this money, you better not lose a coach or a GM to another team for like money reasons or a better offer. Like it's just something that shouldn't happen. And I can't remember the last time it's happened for the Broncos, Yeah, but you know, you'll see it happened. I mean, look at the nuggets. Uh, they just had, um, I'm sorry. You're going to have to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. He just got lured away for a bunch of money. Um, and just a new start. Uh, and I can't, again, I can't remember the last time it's happened to the Broncos, but that better not happen now because there's no excuses. Um, and that's just, I guess, the added benefit of having an owner that has a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, 
they all have tons of money. Like, right, you know, right. Like they all they all have plenty of money to operate an NFL team because you're talking about billionaires and like operating an NFL team. But like, while they all have a lot of money, he has the amount of money they have, and then he has that amount of money again, and then he has that amount of money again. Yeah, and he's gotten that amount of money while operating within the margins and like making. Like make smart money point. You don't get that much money by business. spending frivolously. Yeah. So I mean, we'll see. He also isn't going to be running the team. So I do think there's less incentive to be that Jerry Jones type and be like, oh, hey, my name's on it. So you know, I'm the one who bought the stadium and made this big move and made it so. You well, know. I'm not, I'm not even saying that. I just mean like Pat Bolin. He had a lot of money. He did not have Walton type money. Mm-hmm. Pat Bolin always made sure his team had the resources. I, I think there was like a couple year period in the 90s where he like kind of tried to take more of an active role and it kind of bombed and then he gave it control to Shanahan and just my point is Walton doesn't have to be like out there taking credit. They should just you know, he should always be hiring the right people. They should never be losing anybody. They should just have the resources. But like you said, he's not going to be running the team day to day. It's not like he's going to be coming in every day like, what are we doing you know, to make this team better? Which is good. I, I don't. Main, I don't think we necessarily want Jerry Jones. Well, yeah, I think the main thing you worry about from the owner's perspective is just patience. I mean, you just got to hope that the guy's patient, mm-hmm. that he trusts the people that he hires, uh, the people that are already in place. Someone like George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett. Um, that's just kind of where I think these relationships begin and start. Really, let's continue this on the other side. Get into a few more parallels with the NHL draft. I want to get into um, the draft we have planned out. Um, but first, Justin, are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make a $5 NBA bet, get $150 in free bets instantly. If you want to turn a small bet into a big payday, do the DraftKings same game parlay. This season, a customer, he placed a $5 same game parlay. He won over five grand. That's absurd. I want to meet this person. Uh, Dinner is on them though. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds. Boom, you've got a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use that promo code DNVR. Again, use the code DNVR so they know he sent you. Make a $5 bet during the NBA Finals. Get $150 in free bets instantly. One more time, that promo code DNVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only new customers only minimum five dollar deposit restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. At some point, we gotta get into our favorite long shots um on DraftKings Sportsbook for that number one overall pick at the 2023 draft. I love that. There are NBA draft props, there are NHL draft props, all the best. And you could enjoy that while you have a a nice little Breckenridge Avalanche ale. Where, where's that rank in your uh, in your Breck power rankings, Justin? You you who are our expert. Avalanche ale is up there. It's simple, you know. It's a classic. Mm. It's it's one you mm. can't go wrong with. It peels. It pairs great with a meal. It's great by itself if you're out in the backyard just sitting in the sunshine. Yeah. You know, some beers are a little bit thicker. Some beers are a little bit crushable. This is somewhere in between. You're going to get a nice buzz on, but you're not going to be too full. It's also the summer, though. So I'm a big mountain beach guy. Mm. Gotta love the sours. They just dropped hard sodas, which are fire. And 
they have summer shandies now. So watch your neck, Landon Kugel. Breck is coming for you. And uh, the thing that we love, though, is they just they support our community. I mean, they are yeah, hooking man. up an Avs fan or an Avs fan and a friend with tickets, gear to match, and of course, Avalanche Ale. And what you've got to do is visit breckbrew.com, nominate a community star. We're going to send them to an Avs playoff game. Guys, they're doing this for the Stanley Cup. I don't know if you know this. Stanley Cup tickets, they're not cheap, but Breck, they love our community. And that's why they're looking out for you, just like they're looking out for the community fund, uh, community fund Boulder County to help benefit Marshall fire victims. We love Breck Brew. You love Breck Brew. Go get some Breck Brew. I have it on good authority. There are some Broncos players who wouldn't mind those uh, and were a bit shook by how, how expensive these Stanley Cup tickets are. So pro NFL players, guys, uh, that, that, that tells you everything right there. Um, you know, I was thinking about something that, that Justin was saying. Obviously, we're the draft pods, so we definitely are going to preach patience. But you know, that this is a different deal for the Broncos. They have entered a completely different window um, with Russell Wilson. And so, yeah, patience. To a certain extent, though, you know, everyone's on a shorter leash right now. Everyone. It's the players around Russ. It's this new coaching staff. And it's it's George Payton himself who is going to have to operate within much tighter margins. And those margins are only about to get way tighter because that first shoe has finally dropped. You have a new owner. And now it's uh, it's time to figure out this long-term Russell Wilson contract. It's going to be absurd. It's going to be bonkers. It's going to at least be 80% fully guaranteed, if not full hundo percent guaranteed. Um, and it's going to be a complete new normal for the Broncos, like complete new normal. So how long would you say the Broncos have to, I don't want to say win a championship, but prove that this philosophy is working enough um, to keep it together. I mean, it's like, so what, we're entering third year of Peyton, Hackett's first year. I mean, personally, I think this year is kind of like, a, you know, you just have to see how it works this year. I know the expectations are through the roof now, especially compared to the last few years. But I mean, two, three years down the road, you got to have at least what a division title or, you know, make it to the conference championship. Yeah. What, what are definitely a playoff appearance, of? probably a playoff win. I think you got to beat the Chiefs at some point. I mean, start there, beat the freaking yeah. Chiefs in the regular yeah. season. Just show that you are a factor in this division, which mm-hmm. is going to be the best division in football. So again, you know, like to expect the Broncos and come out and, and win the Super Bowl, probably not going to happen, but they should be in the mix. They should be right. in the mix with the roster that they have. And, you know, Dre brought up the, the window and how it kind of all changes. For one thing, like, the Broncos don't have to do a nine-year rebuild the same way that the Avalanche do just be or did just because of the talent that they have on both sides of the football. But you can't afford teams, to in the NFL. Like how yeah. many coaches get fired in a nine-year rebuild? That's a good point. <laughs> Over under two Three and a times. half. You, I mean, yeah. you're gonna have multiple coaches in that time period. It's it's completely different, like Dre said. But both teams now, they are kind of in that we have to maximize now window, whereas like you know, if you're the Avs right now, you're about to have to pay Kale McCarr. You're, you know, Nazem Kadri is going to get paid somewhere this offseason. Yeah. Probably not here just because he's going to get so much money because he's so good. Mm-hmm. The Broncos, you're going to be in a similar position eventually. Like right now, you know, you have Russ, but once you pay him, 
you know, what is that going to mean for, you know, Patrick Sertan and, you know, maybe a Mujita breaks out at cornerback or, you know, one of these young wide receivers, like they're eventually at some point, like you got to capitalize while you have the superstars in place, but you also have the talent around them on team, you know, affordable contracts. I mean, doesn't that decision really start almost instantly with Bradley Chubb and Jerry exactly. Judy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yep. what we were talking about, nailing those top picks. Those have been very, I mean, jury's very much still out. And I mean, so. obviously wonky circumstances for Judy, given the quarterback and offense. But the fact of the matter is you took a first round pick on him so far has not panned out. Bradley Chubb, obviously injury history, not exactly fair to say he's a bust because he can't stay healthy, but he was the number over the number five pick in a year where there were, you know, three transcendent quarterbacks. So that pick obviously has not panned out yet either. Mm hmm. Well, and the Broncos are going to have to do this too without a first round pick next year. That's the, I mean, if there is a speed bump in this rebuild, I mean, I know you had to get the quarterback and you just kind of live with the picks that you give up, but seeing how Peyton and everyone else kind of deals with the draft and just, I mean, you're basically going to have to deal with one less impact player in these next two years because you don't have that first round pick. So can you flip some guys for some, you know, second or third round pick? Yeah, I mean, I or guess it's Bradley, Bradley Chubb at this point. Uh, maybe even Jerry Judy. I mean, they right. have three or four receivers that can play right now. Uh, even at edge, too. You've seen with the Benito pick, they're really starting to kind of build that side of the ball back up. So, I mean, yeah, without that draft pick, it's going to be something that we all kind of gloss over. And, I mean, of course, we're going to talk about it here on the draft pod. But mm-hmm. it's that's a huge part, man. And that, uh, that would help. I mean, yeah. it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Yeah, and suddenly the opportunity cost of replacing those guys becomes completely different because... Well, the Chiefs have had to experience that the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Yeah, right. And, I mean, they kind of land on their feet to some extent because Tyreek Hill, they were able to flip for a, a decent deal, you know, and we'll really see how much Sky Moore can replace that. I mean, gosh, just having this discussion alone kind of makes me wonder... With how the wide receiver market is right now, what could you get out of Jerry Judy? And would that be a valuable market to explore? You know, would it be valuable to explore trading Sutton or Patrick, even though just because you have them on team friendly contracts, mm-hmm. someone might give you a right. higher draft pick? Right. Just be, they're already locked down on a team friendly deal. Like, if you could get a high second for Tim Patrick, would that not be worth it? an undrafted free agent that you brought in. And I love Tim Patrick. Mm, of course. He might be my favorite receiver just in terms of guys like I enjoy watching. But I, I mean, I'd have to think about it. And Patrick, a guy who has performed well in spite of bad quarterback play, right? He doesn't need the excuses we make for Judy. Um, that's a good of, point. That's what, that's I, I probably have given Judy too much slack, to be honest. And I, he's a Bama guy. I loved him coming out of college, was really excited about the pick, but I mean, he's not been good. He just, he has not, I mean, he, some of it is scheme. Some of it is quarterback play, but I mean, other guys have been able to do it in spite of it. So uh, patience to me, it's just, fit, I'm not giving right? up on him. I'm not, I'm not selling my Judy stock. I'm just, you know, I can't really defend him at this point either. You know, I can't, if people are frustrated and feel like it was a bone pick, I can't really say they're wrong. I mean, I think he's just one of those guys who in the context of what the Broncos offense has been is just like, 
you know, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, much more well-suited because those guys aren't technicians. They don't need to carve you up every single route. They just need one deep route, man, one 50-50 ball, and all of a sudden their game is a big game. Judy, you know, Judy's all about precise timing routes, and he hasn't had that. Instead, what he has been put in is those, okay, you got this, you got this deep crosser. It's going to be a little behind you and you got to adjust, come down with it. That's not his game. His biggest thing is get stronger as he goes on to kind of like a running back. Like a, you would see it at Bama. Like he's just one of, oh, he beat one guy. Now watch out because he's going to beat three guys in the open field next time. Just he starts to feel himself. And yeah, he, he, he yeah. hasn't really gotten to be Jerry Judy yet. But again, he lacks I've, the super duper elite physical traits. Well, because he's, he's not going to create any separate. He's not that strong, you know. He's not going to create separation at the line of scrimmage. You know, he's not going to a 50-50 ball in the air. He's not going to outmuscle you for it or something like that. You know, he's not going to box you out the way Tim Patrick does. He gets open because he's crafty and because he's, you know, slick. I mean, I mean, I get, I get the conversation. I get that. Uh, you know, what could you potentially get for him? I, I still love Jerry Judy. I got to say though, I mean. I, I got a Judy jersey in the closet. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I love the guy. Just, you, I just, you got to give him a shot in the new offense, man. Uh, I don't want to see him running jet sweeps motions before the snap for no reason, where he just kind of stands. At the, you never the, uh, give him the football, and at some point, yeah, it's just a waste. So, you're playing 10 on 11. Exactly. So, I mean, I get it. I mean, someone we should look at, too, is KJ Hamler. I mean, if he has a decent year this year, uh, you want to turk on, talk about return on investment, potentially someone that you could flip for, uh, you know, maybe pull a, a Baltimore Ravens and just with the Marquise Brown and just instantly improve his draft stock. All he needs is, you know, a couple explosive touchdowns. Um, one semi big year doesn't even have to hit a thousand yards. And all of a sudden, any team that needs yeah. any type of deep threat or speed will be calling. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you saw John Dotson go top 20, like KJ Hamler. Mm-hmm like easily be seen within those same regards. Jerry Judy to the Patriots would be intriguing. Just saying. Him with uh, Mac Jones, yeah. man, they would eat. I will say they yeah. need it too. Hamler feels very suited to potentially break out with Russell Wilson, just given his, I mean, you talk about a deep threat. Russell, nobody's better at the deep ball than Russ. I mean, maybe no, Rogers, no but one. yeah. Yeah. No, so I'm really looking year. forward to that this year. Yeah. Big time. It's huge. It's huge. Um, Let's do your draft, man. All right, let's cool. do it. Um, I mean, not much to explain going into this one. Lots of teams are leaving their conferences. Uh, college football realignment has kind of slowed down. Uh, we had the big ones with Texas and Oklahoma, so obviously mm-hmm. they are off the docket. Um, feel free to enter the SEC if you may. Uh, sure. Who? Let's figure out an order here, though, real quick. Who wants to start? Justin, you want to start us off? Yeah, I can go. Um, my only question is, do we? So, are we just are we, we going to say where the school is going, or are we just, just saying this school no. is going to leave their conference? Just leaving. So, if you want, I'll start off. Uh, go ahead, just Jake. to give an example. Yeah, sure. So, I'm going to pick Notre Dame. Um, I know it's maybe kind of not the best number one overall pick because they are Notre Dame, and that's part of their stick is that. They don't need a conference. Um, I just think that the way of independence isn't going to last too much longer. I think 
We're seeing the NCAA change before our eyes. Uh, Notre Dame is obviously a banner program, probably one of, if not the most famous college football program in the country. And as we kind of shift towards this more type of amateur type of college football, I do think whatever conglomerate or league we end up with, Notre Dame has to be a part of. I'm taking Notre Dame. You like it, Justin? You like that pick? I, I I don't disagree with anything Jake said. I will say the one factor that Notre Dame has that basically nobody else in the country does is they have a solo NBC deal. And that solo NBC deal essentially gives them all of the money and infrastructure that you know you would get as receiving a portion of the pie in one of these smaller conf- or bigger conferences. That's the only thing I would bring up. Like, if NBC is going to keep putting them, you know, every single week and they're going to get all this money, there's not a ton of incentive to go into a conference unless they feel that they can't get into the college football playoff. And so far, they've been able yep. to. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure the need is there for them as much as everyone else. Unless we just end up in a scenario where there's like two or three super leagues and it's like you need an auto bid or you're not going to get yep. in. Yeah. Can I give one counterpoint to that? Yes. One counterpoint. Yeah. We just saw Texas leave the Big 12 and join the SEC. We just saw the Longhorn Network fold overnight. So these TV deals, while they are kind of, you know, a big player in this, um, they can work their way around them. And if a team is throwing enough money, I think they could definitely leave and join a, join a conference. Just my two cents. No, it's fair. Texas is interesting, man. What a, uh, I still, I still just, I remember when that happened, I was out in Vegas last summer and I was talking to coaches around the Mountain West players off the record. Cause you know, I'm not trying to get anybody, you know, Twitter quoted or whatever. And you know, like I was talking to Carson strong specifically and he was like, man, they're not even a factor in the big 12. <laughs> like, what do they think they're going to do in the SEC? We shall see, but money rules all anyways, off of that, I'm going USC. The Pac-12 has not been a factor on a national level in basically 10 years. You have moments in the sun with Oregon. You know, I'm a big Utah guy, but I feel like kind of Jake said, if we end up with a super league, which I feel like we're going, whether it's some type of conglomerate between like the big 10 and Pac-12, like Alliance, or maybe the best of the big remaining big 12 in the pack go for like something on the Western half of the country. I don't know. But I think USC spends too much money and they're too big to kind of be in a dwindling, basically irrelevant Pac-12. Wow. Brave of you to say that without Hank here. Good point. Good point. I mean, <laughs> Hank knows it too, though, is the thing. Like, we has, is anybody on the, you know, you, you turn on college game day, they're, they're talking about Cincinnati, teams out of the American, more than they're talking about the Pac-12. Now that's going to change with Lincoln Riley. Like Everything's going to change this year. And they might run the table, go to the college football playoff, and all of a sudden, you know, like everything I just said is, is completely out the window. But based on how the last 10 years have gone, you know, I, I think USC would at least be interested in exploring the possibility of a different league. I don't know. I think, I think at some point, Why I think Oklahoma and Texas look really stupid is that between the auto bids, the NIL, the boom in TV money, um, being in the SEC, being in the Big Ten, it's actually going to kind of start hurting you. Like, you're going to. It's just going to be so much talent. Like, it's, it's like, it's the same thing we talk about with LSU and Auburn. 
LSU yes. and Auburn would dominate, you know, the ACC on an annual basis. You know, they would be the faces of that league. Instead, they get moments in the sun every, you know, five years or so when Georgia or Alabama has a down year because you're not going to out-recruit them. Texas and Oklahoma are about to find out the same thing. Yeah, I think you're going to kind of hit a tipping point where coaches are going to start leaving, recruits are going to start leaving. And the um, big might be the same. Oh, dude, you're, you're so guys are gonna The big's going to be the same way. How do you out-recruit Ohio State and Michigan? You can't. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're done. So I think your your two picks are terrible, guys. Um, and what I should have gone Nebraska. My pick is going to be Nebraska. Um, yeah. And I was going to say that before you said it. Just right I'm sorry. There. No, no. Because yeah. you go right, the opposite. You go the opposite way there. Um, that's a school that needs to get out of that league. That's a school that needs to be back to be one of the top four dogs in its league. Um, Maybe the a return yeah. to the Big 12 is prime. Maybe it's in some sort of different super league. They are a very natural fit with a lot of different spots because they're kind of in the middle and can go every which way. They could join up in a league with Notre Dame. Um, and they have the money to spend. You know, like some schools travel is going to be a factor for Olympic sports, which is something you have to legitimately consider with some of these schools. They don't care. They have money. We'll spend we'll spend it to send volleyball to California. They have the full legislative control and buy-in. Um, I mean, it, it's the most powerful and popular entity in the state. So they can kind of dictate what local politicians do. Um, so yeah, the world's kind of their oyster, even though they have lost some of the old edges that made Nebraska so so great um and really need to figure out their recruiting stronghold, which has been a big issue in all of this conference realignment if they've they've really lost their recruiting identity but that aside um i think nebraska really really seems like a, a team that needs to get the f out and figure this out you want to sneak it you just you changed how i'm gonna th- how i'm gonna think about this um yeah i think the next pick is way less obvious um but you know i there is going to be a big run on Texas and California schools. That's just kind of the deal. I'm not quite sure about the big 12, which I think is going to like hold on to dear life for the last strongholds they do have in Texas. So you're talking Baylor, Texas Christian. Um, So I'll go out to Cali and I'll say San Diego state, a program that seems in a nice spot for that upgrade, right? We just had some top teams in the American go. San Diego seems like that next group of five who could be on the cusp. It would have to be the Big 12. Um, The PAC has basically expressed that they have zero interest in adding another California team. Um, And a lot of that comes down to the power that schools like UCLA and, and Cal have. They're like, why would we bring another brand in here and just potentially take attention away from us. We're already living in USC shadow. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, they've got the Jordan apparel contract. San Diego is, I mean, anyone in the country wants to go to San Diego. It's, it's an, an easy, easy sell. selling point. Easy now sell. they're finally building a, a legitimate, you know, on-campus football stadium. That's going to be kind of similarly to, uh, to CSUs. The only All thing say- I would say is they don't have, like a massive like local identity. When you think of like colleges, college towns, like while San Diego is a fun place to visit, 
it's not other than like San Diego State basketball, like they have a pretty decent student section. It's not like a place you think of as like uh, just like a college atmosphere, I guess. I, I, there's just not a ton of buy-in from the local San Diego community. So you would need to really bank on visiting fans basically wanting to travel there, which they, they might want to anyways because it's so great, but just something to consider. On the Pac-12 thing, I'll just say like, yeah, no one wants to expand until the options no are expand to 20 or die. And then everyone wants to expand and that's going to be one of the first places you pick up the phone and call. You pick, Justin. I'm going to stay in the Mountain West and um, oh, this kills me. I'm going to say Air Force. Um, wow. They're a national brand. They have the biggest athletic budget in the Mountain West because they're federally funded. I, uh, I just, I think there, you, you could, they would make sense in the Big Twelve. I don't think necessarily makes sense in the Pac Twelve, but I think you could do a lot of like they're already playing games in Dallas on an annual basis to kind of try and like build that audience out there. Um, Air Force, CSU, Boise State, and San Diego State, they desperately want out of the Mountain West. And really, like those four schools are the only ones that have a chance to do it. All right. I'm going to go with Clemson. Um, yeah, and I can see that. In thinking of uh, a Super League type of scenario yeah. where you maybe see, um, I don't know, the SEC and like the Big Ten or the Pac-12 all kind of joined together. And obviously the ACC gets kind of left out in that. And Clemson is kind of just different than other ACC teams, Mm -hmm. uh, probably the closest to being a quote unquote SEC team in the ACC. Um, And, you know, I think if they have another few years, kind of like last year where they have a lot of talent and they just don't really put up the results, I think that, you know, you can maybe see them want to make a change and get out of that weaker conference. I could totally see that. I mean, of all the power fives, like rank most likely to be dissolved. The conferences? Yeah. ACC one, big 12, or no, I'd say big 12 one, ACC two. Head of the pack. It's all the smack you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because the pack, has a, three. the pack has a, has a geographical identity in a way that only the SEC has. And, and that's an academic strength right now. Identity. Like those schools, yeah. at least the 10 core ones, there is a lot of synergy and history with those. That's the problem. And with academia the matters more than, than athletics to them. Like USC, even USC, you know, like academia is huge there. Like obviously they commit to athletics in a way that, you know, Cal doesn't. But like you said, it's, it's, They have a ton of geographic history and ultimately they care about their med schools and their funding and and their status as, you know, top universities, Stanford, they want a competitive football team. They care about having a great university. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're going to have to loosen those standards once the billions of TV deals roll in and you've got some real decisions to make on these major conferences. Or you but, just decide that we're not going to go in it the same but way. But that's that, the issue with yeah. the ACC and the Big 12. They do, they've they lost that stronghold. They've lost mm-hmm. that synergy. Um, and yeah, like finding that is really hard, man. 
super uh, hard. That's the Mountain West. That's like the biggest thing they have going right now is geographic synergy and history with schools. Having those relationships, like it really does matter. Schools, they they back each other, you know, school Wyoming, New Mexico, CSU, like when it when push comes to su- shove, like those schools stick together. It's why CSU and Air Force are still in the Mountain West and then they're not in the American. They weren't going to abandon, you know, schools that they had all this history with. Anyways, Jake, you have the next pick. Yeah, just um, real quick, uh, just a thought on that too. I think college football just thinks going in like one of two directions. I think you're either going in the SEC direction where you just like try and uh, collect all the best teams into one conference or you go like the Big 12 direction where geological footprint just becomes irrelevant and you kind of just take teams in that really kind of need a home. You know, I mean, it's you see that UCF's joining in the Big 12. You know, you got BYU now. Um, you know, maybe someone leaves California. I just, I think that's kind of the direction we're headed. Um, next team, though. Oh, man. Who wants that, though? Like, who Not wants me. this mismatched league? Like, it, that's attractive to no one. It's yeah. neither quality football nor does it give that nostalgia and familiarity. Like that, I can tell you right now, that's a model that's not going to last at all. I, I just period. I, I can't help but think that we'll get stuck with at least one conference like that, though. Kind of like how the American is, or how uh, yeah. when the Big East kind of dissolved. You know how it's just kind of like the island of misfit toys, you know, you kind of just got to round up all the ones that are, I mean, you're right. You are going to have like 10 to 12 schools that just kind of need a conference to live in and kind of benefit from like a stepping stone as we really figure out more of a permanent home. It's nuts. All right. Next team, Justin, I'm going to say Boise state. Um, I think that they're kind of caught up in the, you know, we've seen it before where they're held back at times because they are a mountain West team. I think that maybe they are one of those teams that think they can make the jump in terms of playing at a higher level. Uh, sorry to break your heart, bud, but that's how I'm going to go. <laughs> Here's why you're wrong. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible school. No offense if you went to Boise State. It, I mean, it was basically it was a junior college in the late 90s. It's, it just you know does not have the prestige that some of the other schools does. Boise's hard to get to. They do not have the benefit of, you know, DIA or even San Diego. Much easier to get to travel. You have to factor it into, um, and ultimately just financial backing. But yeah, they have the they have the brand recognition. They have the football success. They have all that. I get it. So much of these decisions, at least in the past, have been driven more by like your status as a university. But that might change. It really might change in this modern arms race. So you know, a lot of those arguments could very well go out the window um but as of right now that's why i would argue to me those are thousand dollar problems for million dollar solutions true fair or maybe it's million dollar problems for billion dollar solutions but you know like um but you're right like what's mattered thus far i i think we're just hitting a tipping point because it's like yeah that that we were not paying players back then so Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. kind of. I mean, it's a program and a different deal. I'm gonna go CSU next, just one, so that my fans don't ride on me here. But I mean, obviously, you have the you have the the status as a university, if that is gonna matter. But more importantly, you have the Denver Metro market. You have a school that is committed to athletics in a major way. You know, Boise State about a month ago they just released basically some renderings for 
improvements to athletic facilities that may or may not happen in the future if they get the money, but that's what they want to do. A lot of schools talk about what they want to do. CSU went out and actually did it. They've already committed to athletics. Everything's in place. You have DIA, you have the Denver market, you have a growing city in Fort Collins. What you don't have so far is the athletic success. Things are trending, hopefully, in the right direction with Jay Norvell now leading the football team. You have, you know, the basketball programs in a good spot. They, you know, they're they're primed to make that jump if they take advantage, but they've had they've been in this position basically since 2013, 2014. And we've gone, you know, a decade of basically just failing. Like uh, it's so frustrating. But that post McElwain into Bobo where they were just mediocre and then ultimately bad into Adazio, like that was such a huge missed six or seven year window to establish yourself as, you know, the new Boise State or, you know, just a, one of the G5s, the Cincinnati, UCF. We'd see all these G5 teams across the country capitalize on it. CSU has not yet. I'm banking on them doing it in the future. Who, uh, who are the, who's the third team to make the move from the American to the Big 12 since UCF and? Uh, since um, I have Houston? it pulled up right here. Yes, Houston. Houston. And then they have yeah, I mean, BYU coming up. Justin, when you and I started off at BSN Rams, like if they continue that course, that's that's the the off season that McElwain is poached from Florida. They're able to get Bobo. They're like the hot G five or one of the like certainly within that top five. If they yeah. were able to continue that momentum, like sustain that momentum for three years, they are one of those three teams. Like no it's doubt, CSU in my and mind. BYU. Those are the two. Yeah. Those are the two West Coast teams that end up in the Big no Twelve, doubt. and they take one of the Texas schools. Or I don't know. I think Houston gets left out in that scenario. I think they take Cincy. I think they think they take well UCF's a toughie, man. UCF's a toughie. They spend a ton of money. They want the Texas footprint. I'm next, right, Jake? Uh yes, you're next. It's why I'm taking SMU. Actually, SMU, like the fact that Uh, this wasn't picked in the top five. Like I don't understand why the Mountain West didn't poach SMU as soon as the ACC. Like it makes zero sense to me. SMU has like wide appeal because the money and base is there. The tradition to some extent is there. And to me, the, like the permanent home for the big 12 is it just becoming the old Southwest, which was just the Texas schools. Um, So like, yeah, you've already got Houston, get SMU, get Baylor, get Texas Christian. You add some other teams from around there. Probably the teams like West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, they dip out or find some other, and it just becomes a more of a smaller, mostly Texas only, maybe even Oklahoma and Texas only conference. Um, but anyway, SMU just has a good jillion different fits. And with the American getting poached, they're just natural. So I, I love I, Nebraska, SMU, SDSU. <laughs> strong, guys, strong. Uh, SMU is a great pick. I'm not going to lie. That one didn't even enter my brain, but looking back, that's, I think we messed up. That should have been much higher. Um, I think you have another pick here, Dre, if you got one on the, put it up and ready. Oh gosh. Um, you are right. Let's do this round and then one more. So we each end up with five teams. Okay. Okay. Man. I'm going to kind of stick to the American and the Mountain West here and really torn. 
I'm going to go Navy. I just think mm. Navy can find, uh, you know, it, it's basically the Air Force argument that Justin just. I went had. too early on Air Force. I do, I still believe by everything I said in Air Force, and I do think they are. I can't just being a national brand, you know, to some oh, extent, they have them. the same arguments that, you know, teams like Notre Dame do just without the prestige, you know, and yep. But you picked better teams early on. But Navy's the same way. I mean, like same Army, way. you could take Navy, Army. It does feel like Navy and Air Force, at least in the, since like 2000, have had a little bit more consistent success when it comes to yeah. football. So I would say those are the two service academies you would prioritize. But I mean, it's the same argument for all. Navy's in the Northeast, man. Like that's a that's a big deal. Like they, unlike Air Force, they do not have problems filling out stadiums. Um, that's a good point. They have way more support. It's probably in, the better pick. Entirely different world, though, with the NILs. Like, I, I yeah. don't know what happens with the service academies. Does that just become like, well, shit, I'm not going to get paid to play college football anyways, rather than go to, I don't know, be like the sixth best guy on Utah State, just go to Navy. Uh, I, but they weren't really landing NIL candidate type players anyway. No, like guys course. that in the past believed they had a future in pro football, you know, you wouldn't go to a service academy. Sure, but... What becomes the tipping point? You know, like once Ohio State's paying twenty million for their roster, and every team in the Big Ten has to be paying five plus to maintain their roster. Like, you know, it's what we were talking about on the last. That there is going to be a divide between like true amateurism and basically true professionalism. That's mm-hmm. good. And for for programs like Navy, that is going to be a hard dichotomy to navigate. I don't know if dichotomy is even the right word. Um, so there's my five, yeah. That's your, your four. You'll have That's one more. You have one more. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I am up again, and I'm going to go with the University of Kansas, premier basketball program, one of the top three or four basketball programs in the country, obviously. Big it's also a phenomenal school, really good med school, um, just a good university in general. As it currently stands, like if the Big 12 just really leans into the football stuff, like they don't really feel like a fit. And at some point, Kansas feels like they end up in maybe the Big 10 just because of their academic status and obviously the basketball success. I think that would make them a a fit and geographically it would work as well. But uh, yeah, just Kansas, I think they could use a shakeup. You know, you don't even have Missouri in the Big 12 anymore. So you look, you know, you lose your closest geographic rival. You haven't done anything in football since 2007. Like, at, at some point, just a shakeup could be good. All right. Uh, I think I'm going to go a bit different of a route here. And I'm going to I'm going to say Vanderbilt because I think that the SEC is going to want to soup itself all the way up from top to yeah. bottom. And I think that means getting rid of uh, Vanderbilt and, you know, I, I may be pissing off some people in Nashville, but I mean, I think that's what the SEC is ultimately headed towards is being the biggest and strongest conference top to bottom. What's up, Justin? The reason Vanderbilt is still in the SEC today is obviously their academic stand and Vanderbilt props up everyone else in the league. So if, if again, though, you know, we, it comes back to the same arguments. If that stuff no longer matters, see ya. Bye. You know, don't let the door hit you out on the way out. As it currently stands, Vanderbilt will happily take the check to, you know, get their teeth kicked in. They'll use it for their great university, for a great school. They're like, whatever, man, we're just going to take your money. You beat us. It's fine. But I think you're I think you're right. At some point, like if you're the SEC, what is 
the benefit of having vanity other than pretending that we give a shit about academics. And then on the other side of that, I'm going to take North Dakota State as my next team. Um, Wild when card. are you going to join the big guys, man? I mean, come on. You want to? You can only beat up on the FCS. Uh, all, all due respect to FCS and Hank, you can only beat up on the FCS for so long before uh, you want a taste of the real competition, and it's got to be coming for NDSU. I wonder. I really wonder. Um, there are another school the up in the Mountain West. Like, why not? Like, why would the you not? Ten, man, that'd be so much fun. It'd be. Cool. I don't know what type of uh, type of backing they have financially, but obviously, if you get the TV contracts, that changes a lot of stuff, anyways. So then it like, doesn't really matter. But um, oh man, last pick, and Drake dominated this. He absolutely beat the <laughs> zero. <profit>. Um, <laughs> I feel like we we got the Mountain West schools we're taking. I feel like we have the AAC teams we're taking at this point. The service academy teams. Like I feel like you need. I've got a how team. You need one. I've got one. I've got one ready to go for my final pick. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see you. I'm gonna go Colorado and kind of do the same argument the, that Nebraska with Nebraska. The conference move has done nothing to benefit you. Um, you have no rivals. You have no history in this league. You are not relevant. Try and team back with schools when you actually mattered and kind of basically do the nostalgia thing. Yeah, I could see Missouri doing the same thing. Um, like all those old Big 8 teams. I'll go Coastal if there's any chance uh. that... Um, I was thinking of App State too, who's actually had much more sustained. Success. That's who I almost said as just that. Uh, it feels like they might be a just a smidge too small to compete mm-hmm. with those big boys around them. Yep, Coastal instead, I think, is making a little more of a push. Like they're they're mm-hmm. like a team that's like willing to go with the fast growth. And if there's any chance, like a conference like the ACC survives and like has to make up for some poaching, that'd be a very natural fit. Um, and it just be a natural fit, like as some of these G five conferences get lose some teams, but try to survive. Like Coastal would be an easy, like oh, we lost Boise, screw it, we'll go with Coastal, even though it makes no sense any other way. It's like whatever, <laughs> Boise was hard yeah. to get to and like sucked academically. Who cares if Coastal is also hard to get to and sucks academically? We'll we'll sign off on that. I don't care. Um, so yeah, there you go. Sunbelt Pogen to finish this off. Any uh, any schools you want to throw out? Jake, you had a suggestion. Yeah, real quick. Uh, I know Cincinnati's joining the Big 12 now, but I could definitely see with how the Big 12 has been weakened, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma going, and now they're just bringing in kind of whoever. I think Cincinnati is going to, you know, they'll pat themselves on the back, you know, power five now, whatever. But I think, you know, two, three years down the line, they could be looking for another move. Cincy, Mizzou, Seems like, you know, Big Ten, give us a quick call. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll consider it. Yeah. To recap here, just so we can go over uh, everybody's teams, Jake ended up with Notre Dame, Clemson, Boise State, Vanderbilt, North Dakota State. I ended up with USC, Air Force, CSU, Kansas, and Colorado. 
Andre ended up with Nebraska, San Diego State, SMU, Navy, and Coastal Carolina. Uh, for for my money, Dre won the Nebraska, SMU, San Diego State trio. Basically, won it before we even got going. But um, I really like I really like the North Dakota State Flyer in the last round. That's a fun pick. And I'm basically just pandering with the uh, the regional schools. So if we do a Twitter poll. Vote for me because I picked all the schools you know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Justin Michael. Thank you for listening to the Draft Pod for Dre, for my man Hank who's not here, and for my guy Jake Schwanitz, our certified draft expert. Hope you guys are enjoying your summer. Hope you guys are enjoying this Ab Stanley Cup run. And hope you guys are enjoying some ice-cold break brews as you do it. Much love. Peace. La, la, la.